Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates on tonight's show. I have a very special guest, returning guest, Roberta Glass. And we both uh, watched with great interest this new documentary that came out on Netflix titled The Sons of Sam, plural. The Sons of Sam, A Descent into Darkness. I was uh, really interested in it as somebody who had followed Maury Terry, had read the book The Ultimate Evil, and had actually written an article about the death of Arliss Perry, which I will post in the show notes. But it was an article I wrote like five years ago talk, talking about its tie-ins with Crowley Moss that happened on October 12th, so Crowley's birthday. So it's something of particular interest to me. So I watched this also documentary to see. I expected it something different. I, I actually found it to be pretty interesting. So uh, Roberta's going to comment on the documentary as well. So Roberta, are you there? Yes, thank you. Awesome. Well, thanks for agreeing to talking about this. Do you have any first impressions on what what you thought about the Sons of Sam and, and the production and, and kind of the, it was a four part series. So uh, I was I was I was um, pleasantly surprised. I really expected it to kind of well, I, you know, just negate the whole theory. And it was really more about Maury Terry and his obsessive search and how this story really ate him up. And I thought that was an interesting angle. Um, in other ways, I was disappointed. I was waiting the entire time because I had also followed your work in the Arliss Perry story. I had followed Crawford's arrest. I had followed that Crawford had the ultimate e uh, evil book in his closet. And I thought, oh, well, maybe we'll get some more information about that. And then at the end, it's just spoiler alert. It's just they show that he had the book and there's no more information. So if you're looking um, for a reinvestigation of the Son of Sam case, you're going to be disappointed. If you're looking for the Son of Sam did it himself story, you're going to be disappointed. This is really the Maury Terry story. And it's a fascinating story. It's a story of an obsessive. And of course, you know, I, I can relate <laughs> a little bit. I can too. I definitely can relate. I mean, he was kind of an interesting guy. I was I was surprised that they were going to take that angle, like you said, that they were going to talk about Maury Terry. And uh, I mean, I I don't know. You were were you on that Facebook group that was Maury Terry's group because there was a lot of activity and apparently a lot of activity now. But I was on there with Ed Opperman and uh, Denaro, who was in the documentary. So I had spoken to Carl Denaro online, and so it was interesting to see um Denaro on the TV show but uh were you aware of that group the Moritaire group I was aware um I I read the ultimate evil uh, I I still don't know what to think of it uh you know it's very hard because Berkowitz never had a trial and in this series every time someone who supports like Borelli or 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 Kofi comes up who supports the Berkowitz did it himself theory. They just say, no, Terry's wrong. And then it ends there. The clip ends there. Right. So I get very frustrated. They let them present their case just a little bit. Why? Why do you think that? And when they go to the main reason it has to be more than one shooter is because of the two and a half minute difference. That's a very slight difference of when the crime was committed and when Berkowitz took the ticket off his car. And I know I'm going to disappoint your listeners, I think, a little bit because I'm I, I, I'm not, I, I, you know, I'm, I haven't made up my mind. I just I'd like to hear more. I'd like more of a discussion uh, of, about the the case itself, you know. 
Right. Well, I think that there was more. I mean, there right, all those people were killed at night, but they had multiple different crime sketches of what people look like, right? None of which really looked mm-hmm. like Berkowitz. Maybe one did. And so it looks like there was other people. I think Gar- Carl DeNaro says that some woman was the person who pulled the trigger on him. So I think that that was one of the primary bases of why people believe that more than people did it. I'm almost everybody who's interviewed in that film, other than the police or the authorities said other people were involved. So uh, it seemed other than really Berkowitz and they, they kind of didn't really focus on a lot of the Berkowitz interviews where he's talking about the process church. There's a lot of uh, footage out there of him talking about being afraid of these other people and, it's it's so. very hard because you have Berkowitz, um, who I, I think is the most unusual uh, uh, mass murderer. He hasn't tried to get out. He, he just doesn't want to come up. You know, he's refu- what I understand is he's refused parole. He understands that he's in there for life. He's apologized. I mean, those things are very rare. Yes. Um, so it makes you want to trust him. But then again, this is also a killer. So, you know, you have to be careful. I thought, you know, there's a lot of sort of Monday boarded quarterbacking with the police. If, if You know, if you're the police, the stressful thing, you think you solved the crime. Do you really want to go back and, op- op- you know, open no. it up again, you no. know, relive it? I mean, I, and um, also, uh, um, you know, just... <sighs> Uh, I, I don't know. And also with the, the different sketches, you know, you also have that in the Zodiac killer, but that you're right. That is the best evidence uh, out there are the sketches and they're so different. Different, um, right. You know, it's for, a much easier story. It's a much easier, much more palatable story to just say one guy did it for everybody. It's not even just for um, the police. It's also for the media as well. Right. We got him. Berkowitz is it. There's no additional deaths. You know, it's over and we can just put the bookend on it. And it's much more disturbing and troubling to say that there was some kind of group deliberately causing terror in in New York City in 1975 and 1976. Well, that's been a theme of our conversations, whether we're talking about Epstein or think about a story like Madoff, where just a few people go down, you know, that all these people just sort of do it alone. Nothing more to even in the Nexium story. Ranieri, right. That came to mind as well. Right. I mean, they a few, you know, the it really could have been a so many more people could have been implicated in that. And that could have gone so much further. Maxwell, Epstein. I mean, there's so it's a very American thing. Uh, Oswald. One one right. one messed up person did it. That's it. Nothing more. You know. Right. I mean, but I for me, I think I was was interesting in that documentary was that they they went to Mino. They went to Mino, North Carol, North Dakota, and mm-hmm. had interviews with the cops there who like were kind of validating the stories coming out of New York and talking about one of these kids, the what is it, the Carr brothers literally like sacrificing a dog and drinking its blood. I was like, wow, you actually put that into the documentary. That's pretty intense. Yeah. It it, it was very interesting that they, they said, Oh, well, the New York uh, authorities, police looked at us like we were hicks. I thought that was very interesting. Like they don't know anything. And, uh, and just the way. Yeah. They're pretty well spoken. I thought those two police that they featured in there. Absolutely. And the way that car, uh, 
was killed himself before he was apprehended was so close to the way Crawford did it yeah. with the Arliss Perry thing. It was just shocking. Shocking. You know, yeah. Just to watch it. And it's interesting also, I, I was struck also by um I think I listened to Zeman, the right. the director's he's recorded a new introduction to Maury Terry's book. Oh. And he, it, it's interesting because it doesn't, it's very poo-pooing the idea of Satanism. It brings up satanic panic and that Satanism is just mostly kids trying to freak out their parents and that real evil lives in us. And that Satanism is sort of a, a skeptical uh, world outlook. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. And I, and I was thinking to myself, well, this seems like kind of like a Hollywood guy. And of course, someone like Maury Terry, who's so moralistic and obsessive, is going to look like some kind of strange, obsessive, destructive person to him. You know, this guy is, you know, makes us very slick, very well done, very slick, very palpable, you know, take. But to, to, to sort of like a Hollywood guy, Maury Terry must look like a, a nut. Right. And, uh, and I think that that's, that's an easy way to look at him, this kind of singular person, you know, fighting against the darkness. But the book is pretty, I mean, his book pretty, is pretty well researched. But I think Zeman, I mean, if you look at the documentary and his public statements, they seem to be different. Because the way his documentary lays out and what he allows to be put in there is that all these other people are saying somebody else did it, somebody else was involved, right? And they add, not Borelli, but the other Italian prosecutor, whose name I can't remember right now, was bringing up a new case saying that there's others involved, right? Do you remember that part? Right, yeah, the DA, the Queen's yeah. DA. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was it Salerno yeah. or something like that? But um, So there was other people within the authorities who were not just taking this, uh, you know, we got the killer approach. Yeah, and, and I thought also there was an interesting part that Maury Terry seemed to work best when he had someone who was skeptical of his work working with him. And when he kind of lost that pushback, like when he gets to the Roy Raiden murder, uh, he finds that Bible where it's, you know, and it's open. Right. And uh, and that leads him to that. That's the ultimate evidence, this this Bible that's left next to the body. And it turns out he was wrong. You know, you can see his work is very care. It, it very uh, much matches up with the Carr brothers and then it starts to kind of expand and um, get a little bit messier and a little vaguer as, as it goes on. I would agree. Uh, I just thought that there was definitely like nothing real after he put out the ultimate evil. It didn't seem like there were that many other pieces that were included into that puzzle until um, the guy who killed himself in, in San Jose. So, I mean, it seems like there were, he didn't, he didn't really add on to his original story, but he was in Untermeyer Park. I mean, they saw those videos of him. So he was looking around. I mean, Untermeyer Park is super cold. I don't know if people keyed in. Probably not even Dan Z or Joshua Zeman, the director, did. But those two pillars with the Sphinx is uh, straight out of uh, Eliphas Levy, which is the symbol to know, to will, to dare, and to remain silent. And then there's that Levy, you know, the black magic sigil or whatever that was written in the letter and also supposedly that was being redrawn by one of the Carr brothers. So there's all there's definitely some occult markers there for sure. Why do you think, I mean, I was very interested in your reaction to that kind of narrative that 
Satanism is sort of a benign, skeptical outlook. I mean, I have the direct opposite. I've done so much research into Crowley and some of these other um, Satanists that it's the opposite. I think that Satanic panic is actually a concept that's promoted by a lot of occultists to discredit research into their on, you know, what's going on. A lot of those people who originally proffered that concept, at least today, maybe not back in the past, but, you know, overlooked a lot of the real stuff that was really happening. And Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's, I think that, that a concept was, you know, distributes it around. But I think that there's so many satanic crimes and things that are happening, particularly today, that it's hard to believe that anybody would believe, like have that kind of loaded term, kind of like a conspiracy theorist or something like that, when the facts tell a different story. I mean, I I have to write a book called Occult Crimes because there's so many occult-influenced crimes. Richard Ramirez was a member of the Church of Satan. His whole ideology and outlook was based upon his satanic principles. He murdered tons of people. I mean, the known and unknown, right? 11 or 12. So that's just one of many. You can talk about the Kilroy killing in, in Matamoros, where I was literally brutalized in a satanic ritual. So you can go through this long list. You can talk about what the other, the you know, the basis of the true, uh, true detective show was this church in outside of uh, in Louisiana. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah the Hosanna Church, where they're doing satanic rituals. So it does happen. It's just not believable. I've done tons of research into the process church. I wrote about number three in the process church of my book, Children of the Beast. And it was very complex, very secretive, organized, almost like the an SS or Jesuits or something like that. Very complex internal mechanics of that cult. And uh, to say that that's not real is ridiculous when all the evidence exists that these guys at least, you know, the Church of uh, Final Church, Process Church of the Final Judgment was around till now. And there's a lot of apologists for them. I think Ed's actually interviewed one at Opperman. Guy did a, a kind of a very fawning documentary about the Process Church. It really didn't go into the details. So I guess my question for you is, is why do you think it makes people, why do you think people, uh, it just seems very rational to say, well, I don't believe us. Uh, Satanism. You, you know what I mean? I, I'm not panicked by Satanism, but there are people who believe it and practice it. And sometimes it leads, it is involved in these murders. Why do you think it's such a winning strategy to say, oh no, it's just all panic and it's all just to sort of titillate America and, and kind of get money? Like I said, I think some of the originators are people who are actually in Satanism, so that's their cover, and then other people believe that story, so it's disseminated. But a lot of people just don't have the basic facts. I think that you talked to a lot of people about Satanic-motivated crimes or things like that, and they just don't know how many occult or cultists there really are. But, yeah, I think it's it's much easier to have that position, like, oh, it's not happening, than actually doing your research and actually looking at West Memphis three is a perfect example. You can look at the West Memphis three and say, you know, Hey, you guys are part of satanic panic, but if you look at there, what these guys are up to based on testimony of different people, killing dogs, a lot like son of Sam killing dogs out in remote places. And Ms. Kelly said they were drinking blood. So, I mean, uh, I mean, the facts tell a different story. I don't think it's very common, but, in, in rare circumstances, these people are doing crazy occult-influenced stuff. 
Well, there's one um, turd dropped into the middle of this documentary where they're talking about the NYPD being corrupt and forcing confessions. And then they bring out the Central Park Five I know. <laughs> right in the middle. And I, right. I thought they were going to bring in uh, the West Memphis Three when they started talking about satanic panic. I go, oh, wow, this this documentarian is not a researcher. This guy is a filmmaker. He's not a researcher because had he done one one tiny bit an hour of research into the Central Park Five, boy, he would know he's promoting a falsehood there. And um, it, it, I thought that was a, a interesting, uh, interesting moment. I was just glad they didn't bring in uh, the West Memphis Three to prove satanic panic. And do you think, I mean, they also make the argument in this that Maury Terry should have never gone on these talk shows to promote his book, you know, sort of. No, more. that was interesting. Um, Maybe that's the only outlet back at that time, right? So if you really have a story, where else are you going to go? For all, other than Geraldo Rivera or something like that? I don't. I mean, yeah, it's unfortunate. He was on. I mean, Maury Terry was one thing that made me sit up in my chair was he was on a talk show with FBI former FBI op guy Ted Gunderson. And you know, if you know his backstory, that's very interesting as well. He was involved in McMartin, all kind. And some people think that. Gunderson was kind of like a counter intel officer in, in McMartin, like screwing up things, and he was sleeping with one of the women, apparently. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so very that, much in touch with uh, the satanic guy in the military, Colonel Aquino, right, Aquino. Yeah, Opperman, and a couple other. Yeah, yeah. So there's, there's, yeah. I think Opperman said that the Gunderson would be on the phone with Aquino, like on a, on a friendly basis. So these guys are up to no good. And now you want to talk about Aquino? I mean. <laughs> I mean, it just gets it gets deeper and deeper. So um, the reality of the satanic ideas exists. You can just look at the Church of Satan, the Church of Set, all that stuff. These people, I think, like the outsiders to think that they're just play acting, and I think that's part of their that's camouflage. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting with the Roy Raiden murder. They were like, he was wrong about the cult being involved, and. Um, now I'm forgetting his name, the producer of The Godfather, uh, Robert Evans. And uh, he was involved um, with, you know, the the prostitute, the you know, the, the prostitute woman who went down in California. He was trying to get underage prostitutes from her. So, oh, I mean, and yeah. he oh, was right. also... Uh, Heidi, Fleiss. Heidi Fleiss. Heidi Fleiss. He was, thank you. I forgot her name. Heidi Fleiss. He, there's tapes of him talking to Heidi Fleiss, ordering, you know, talking about the underage prostitute uh, that she sent him and, uh, you know, kind of like talking about her and, you know, it sounded like a regular thing that he was getting underage. He was getting girls super from her. Super and super he was also involved with cocaine. What's that? Right. He's also involved with cocaine. He, uh, uh, Robert Evans got busted for cocaine. And those are all the things that the um, the cult was involved with. Right. So kind of interesting. So maybe there is more. I don't know. That, that was my thought. Well, maybe there is that. more to it. More to the story. Thing. There's networks, right? right? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Uh, the process this- church is always seen with those dogs, right? They're always seen with those German shepherds. So there was this kind of like dog similarity between what they called the was it the 22 children of hell and process church did they ever solve the sisman uh the sisman 
Um, this is when uh, Platzman, is it Platzman murder? No? I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know. Another weird thing about the Arliss Perry story was I was followed on Facebook by this guy, Brian McCracken. He was like the last witness in the Arliss Perry murder. And Ed Offerman mm. interviewed him in, in 2018. He's I like, heard hey, that interview. Yeah. You, yeah, that, yeah. So that was. So these kind of things are still percolating around in, uh, in the U.S. But I actually, I mean, going back to the documentary, I thought it was, I thought it was really well made, and I was surprised that they actually talked so much about alternate or additional suspects. Was, uh, so it, is when they talk about this being Maury Terry's white whale this story is right. the message from this documentary not to not to go too deeply into research to stay on the surface i don't know <laughs> that, that was my other question it's a good one i mean you can you this is uh you know there's a cautionary tale there like it doesn't seem like maury terry had other output like this became his story and that was it so i think that that's an unfortunate element of his life like why isn't he writing another additional book maybe of something on the side to this story or he just had ultimate evil to my knowledge is all he put out. Sometimes, you know, people have one story to tell, you know, and that's their, their thing. But you look at the way his marriage started out with their first date being going to the son of Sam murder scenes and that his wife being kind of like a assistant or a researcher so it didn't really start out as a normal kind of marriage relationship to begin with. Right. You know, so I thought that was a fatal flaw in, in, in the story there. You know, he started out as an, this is an obsessive guy. This is not going to be Joe family man, Joe light guy going on and maybe like more like a Joe McGinnis or an Ann rule or someone who's going to go from case to case to case. This right. is someone who's always going to keep turning over rocks um, until and also the other thing that they did some um, heavy criticism of him for was his interview, his especially his second interview with Berkowitz. Did you right. think that? Have you seen that interview? And did you think that that was fair? I, and you know they really criticized him. I didn't. I think he was just asking pointed questions. They seemed to think that he they characterized him as being overly aggressive, right? But I, I didn't get I didn't get that impression. I felt like that was uh, a little mis misguided or misaligned. What did you think? Well, I thought, well, that's so easy if you're not do, having to do it yourself. You spend decades, re, you know, I don't know if it's decades, but at least one decade researching this. You finally get to a, a second audience with Berkowitz, and you get to you get the opportunity to ask him everything you want to ask him. And of course, you're going to want to push a little bit. Of course, you're going to be on the edge of your seat. Of course, you're going to, going to verify your research. Should he have laid back a little? Was his approach too heavy? Is, is he a professional on camera guy? No. Is he, I mean, it came off like, I mean, it's always so easy when you're not the one doing it. And that was kind of my thought through the whole thing, whether you're a cop or whether you're a, a interviewer it's always so easy if you know you don't have to do it yourself to judge someone else's work or whatever but, i mean you know? for me berkowitz is clearly trying to keep quiet he's mentioned process church in interviews but he's mm -hmm. talked about his dad he's worried about other people he thinks he's afraid because there's other sons out there so he i think the, from my impression is berkowitz knows a lot more he just doesn't want to talk 
there's a certain point where he doesn't want to talk about stuff. And certainly the prison informant aligns with Berkowitz's story. And the other person who was initiated says he was initiated into the cult, the occult uh, children group around the same time as Berkowitz seems to back up his story. But there's an issue here where, I mean, is my understanding of the occult is that silence is really one of the premier values of it. You, yes. you know, loyalty to the cult and staying silent. So yeah, a lot, a lot that's of an cults, issue, right? Yeah. Lots of an issue. A lot of cults to have like you're in, you know, and there's no out you bleed in, you bleed out kind of like the mob. So, <clears throat> you know, that may have been why these car brothers died or one, one of the other, the other car brother got driven off the road. Right. Supposedly mm -hmm. in NYC. So there's these cover ups that happen. And, uh, yeah, so um, uh, it gets pretty dark. I mean, if you get initiated and brought into these heavy-duty cults, like the Process Church, you know, I, I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a way you get out. You just kind of have to run through your life. I don't know. Mm -hmm. How many I mean, do you do you think that that group still exists today? The Process, the process? Mm -hmm. in in the, in, a, in a different form. I don't think it's real. I think the both of the two heads, Dick Grimston, his name was Moore, and his wife passed away. She started Best Friends Dog, um, Animal Best Friends Sanctuary. Animal Sanctuary, right, in Utah. So that might have some kind of internal connection to the process. But, <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> like I said, and even number three passed away. His name was Timothy Wiley. He just passed away in the last couple of years. But uh, <clears throat> the remnants are there. A lot of the writing is there. So whether they're carrying on that same tradition, I don't know. Hmm. hmm. Do you think that this story will ever be solved? I mean, really solved in any satisfying I mean, way? Well, just like you said, silence, silence right? Silence is golden. <clears throat> so I would say that a lot of these people aren't talking about how important, you know, how networked it was. And if there really are 22 sons, uh, children of Sam, right. Then there's a lot of other people walking around who are in that cult. And uh, so I, I don't think the totality will ever be solved, but I do think it's fascinating that, you know, that Arliss Perry case at least was somewhat cracked, at least by the security guard. I don't know who else he was involved in or whether he was the only, you know, that's another kind of Berkowitz thing. You're saying that he was the only one involved in her death. How did she get lured to the to the church in Stanford? You know, there's a lot of questions there. Late at night. What woman goes to church late at night to supposedly pray? I don't know. I don't believe that. So hmm. you think I, she was part of the Brooklyn well, the rumor, she was hunted? Right. So <clears throat> she was hunted, but they if you remember in the ultimate evil, she had the connection to Mino, right? So she was connected to North Dakota. And supposedly she was an ardent Christian and she may have tried to evangelize to some of these other people and they didn't like it. And so mm -hmm. that was, she, that was why she might've been targeted. I mean, that's really what set Maury Terry off on, you know, that thing is what Berkowitz wrote about in the, in the book on the, on the, I think he wrote something on the, you know, fringes of a book and that, that uh, set Maury Terry. And that's how the ultimate evil starts is her death. Mm -hmm. What would be the benefit? Let's just be very uh, skeptical for a second. What would be the benefit 
to Berkowitz if he's not trying to get out? Is it, I mean, I, I have a theory, but it, it, what would be the benefit to him to say that he was part of this satanic cult to make all this up? If he's not trying to get out right, on parole. Right. So he's not, right. he's not trying to minimize himself or anything. I don't know. what. I don't know. What do you think the benefit would be? Well, it, it backs up. He's had a 1987. He's had a religious conversion. It furthers his story that, and, you know, his story is a story that basically he was possessed by demons. So it's like, I don't integrate with the evil in, inside of myself. I'm not saying this is, I'm just speculating. Right. You know, I don't, I don't sort of, integrate that side. So it's just these outside forces coming in on me, taking me over. My real self is really good. And, you know, a better presentation. I would think that would be the a better presentation. And it also hopefully would move more people to Christianity. That, that was the only thing I could think of. However, I don't see the benefit of adding all these details about the Carr brothers and the <laughs> Reslin letter. I don't see what the what that would do. I don't know why you would do, I guess, I mean, maybe was he plotting a, a defense, but then he pled guilty and basically right. fell on his sword. The The thing that shocked me the most, which I, I don't know if I had forgotten about or I'd never known was that he, he screamed Stacy is a whore and the thing I do it again. So like, Whoa, boy, like is that a different Berkowitz you don't see now right. bite people. Yeah, it sounds like he spazzed out there. And he had that weird smile on his face. It reminded me of Ricky Casso. Do you know of the Ricky Casso story? He was in a yes. crime and he had that weird kind of, even under arrest, he had that weird glint in his eye. Like, didn't show any remorseful, you know, didn't keep his head down or something like that. Just like, yeah, smiling. Weird. I mean, very strange, strange response there. Mm-hmm. Very strange. And, and- I mean, all the footage is so great. And even like the little details of 70s New York where the cop says Berkowitz is five feet, seven inches tall to his head, five each, five inches, seven, five, five feet, eight inches tall to his hair. <laughs> like his Buffon 70s hair gives him an extra. There's all sorts of great little details, but it's very scary to see that the crime and the grit living in New York like that, because that's what we're headed to, you know, murders are up 97% here. I mean, that's what we're going back into is that kind of thing where the police are totally overwhelmed. They can't keep up. The violent crime is out of control. That's where, that's where we're, we're headed right now. So it's pretty scary. Well, hopefully another son of Sam will not pop up. One of the other additional things, I mean, you want to talk about cults, but did you recognize who um, was the narrator on there? Uh, Paul Giamatti. Right. Skull and Bones. It's a Skull and Bones member. (laughs) So why are they asking a Skull and Bones member to narrate that? I mean, so bizarre. Great voice, though. Great voice. He's a good actor. He's a good actor. He's got got an interesting heritage. So do you think this is a, a, a few people who follow the occult or follow conspiracies have said, is this a cover up? Is this is this documentary a cover up? A sort well, of whitewash. I've heard that there's a lot of talk on um, on Facebook on the more official Maury Terry site. So people are chatting. And somebody actually sent me something uh, from Joshua Zeman, the director's on there on the Maury Terry site, like talking. And so 
some people are saying yeah, they're covering. He's he was part of a cover up that he didn't go too deep enough. But I was just, from my perspective, I was just happy that he even mentioned that. You know that he mentioned that there were other. I think that's really the gist of the original of this Sons of Sam is to say that there's other people involved or could potentially be involved. That was the differentiation from maybe the standard Son of Sam story. So, but it seems like there's some definitely some consternation. Have you heard of anything? No, no, I just, I heard, um, uh, you know, I heard my friend told me about an interview he did where he was comparing the wilding going on in Unterrider Rider Park with the wilding in the Central Park 5 case. And I thought that was a dim comparison. Well, you know, the wilding is what the Central Park 5 themselves said they were doing. So right. I, I don't know. What, well, I, no, that, I that, know that, that case has been so rewritten. It's just unreal. Yeah, so really what are you going to do? It really has. I talked to the main guy on that where Eric Reynolds, somebody on your board and want to get the right from the arresting officer. You can look it up on my uh, podcast and see what he said. Also, I was it Siragusa was his name, who also was the lawyer for the main perp who was uh, from, I think, Puerto Rico mm-hmm. and had a really sketchy background and was involved in a bunch of other rapes and stuff like that. So um, they're all there on my podcast. If you mean Mateo Reyes? Mateo Reyes. I can't pronounce his name, but he was the, his lawyer who got punched out by Reyes right. after he gave him a pack of M&M's <laughs> in his hearing. No, I got called racist a few times after that one. You're not supposed to question the Central Park Five myth. No, it's a myth. And what do you think the value of these myths are? I mean, what's the Political. value of Son of Sam did it alone, Central Park Five, or it's all the police's fault? I mean, right. It's political. You know, I think it's a political axe to grind of Central Park Five that, uh, you know, the man came down on five people that when they see us because we're black, that's why we got busted. That's the intimation. And uh, I think the same thing with Son of Sam, you know, it's like, oh, there aren't any groups of people doing strange stuff at night. There's just one lone lunatic who talks to a dog, you know, it's much, it's a much easier you know, gift to rap than saying this guy was part of a much broader cultural event of cult activity. I'm pretty sure that DeGrimston lived in New York City at that time, too. So like mm. the founder of the Process Church. That's interesting. You know, I mean, that's sort of like the nothing to see here myth. Yeah. Everything's cool. Nothing, you know, don't get upset. Don't get hysterical. It's all his, the, all these other people are hysterical and crazy. You know who are, right. who are saying that this is going on? Yeah. It's it's very interesting because if you call Satanism a, a kind of skeptical uh, outlook, that falls right in line with that, right? That oh, there's evil doesn't really exist. That's right. a Christian concept, right. you know. Right. I agree, but the, you know, there's interesting parallels between the Son of Sam and the Zodiac Killer and the Beast of Florence. Those kind of somebody groups predating on, you know, lovers' lanes, people who are out, you know, couples alone. Very strange. Strange times with that. And what is it? Don't Fear the Reaper. Have you ever heard mm-hmm. that song? Yeah. Romeo mm-hmm. and Juliet. They're singing about, like, lovers being killed and stuff. Interesting. Um, so there's been a new development in the uh, West Memphis 3 case. Can we talk know. about that for a second? I don't know. Is there – I think – the mother of Damien Eccles passed away, that one? 
No, no. This is what Damien Eccles is saying, and you can never trust anything he's saying. He's now demanding that he's heard that the DNA evidence has been lost, and now he's demanding it that it be retested. He says lost or destroyed, but they still haven't turned over the DNA from 2011, their results. They tested that, never turned it over, pled guilty instead. And so now he's announcing on his Twitter that that they have to, it's a big cover up and they have to retest this DNA because it will exonerate him. How convenient, right? (laughs) It will exonerate. I thought he was already exonerated. Right, right. Why is he still trying? Yeah. That's what the that's what the court of public opinion says. It must be true. Yeah. No, I wasn't aware of that. Somebody did send me something that said his mom passed away. So that's true too. Yeah, okay. but um, yeah, I thought that was pretty funny, yeah. and that he's out there now. He wants it tested now that he he knows it can't be found, or he thinks it can't be found. You know, be it's careful, Damien Echoes. You might get what you wish for. It might not turn out so well. So. Yeah, is there anything else you'd like to add? I gotta go off and get ready for my next interview. No, I no. I mean, would you recommend this? I think yes. it's worth people's time, right? Yes, it was worth the four four hours for sure. Just to relive that. I think that there was a lot of interesting additions, film, you know, visuals that I had not seen before. All that things that happened in my now, that they actually traced that and that there were local you know, newscasters reporting on these crimes and also the end, I forgot his name now, but the guy who was, you know, associated with the death of Arliss Perry, that whole sequence at the end was pretty scary that they actually Crawford, were there. And he was like, yeah, Crawford. Mm-hmm. So, very scary. Very scary. It was very well, very well crafted documentary. I think very so. slick and, so. and, and easy to watch. So I, I'm really happy to talk with you about it because this is really your, I mean, your area of expertise. Well, a little, bit, a little bit more, you know, I've definitely, I just did another interview about this guy who supposedly somebody, I don't, know, I don't want to say online, but somebody thinks that, I mean, the thing is, is that you can put anything out and somebody will claim that you're a shill, right? So somebody's claiming my last guy's a shill. I don't know who talked about the son of Sam case, but um, I guess you that, have to kind of just look at it yourself. That's very frustrating about the conspiracy community, the sort of um, atmosphere of paranoia of yeah. everybody calling each other shills and CIA, you know, find it very uh, disconcerting. Yeah. I get exhausting actually after a while. I, I mean, I've gotten so many emails about me being a shill at this point. It's like, <laughs> If you're a shill, you're not getting paid very well. I'm not getting paid enough, damn it, for being a shill. That's no <laughs> doubt about it. Please. Anyway. Just, I've been called a shill, too. I, I've been, been being paid by the prosecutors, too. Where are my checks? I don't know. I'm still yeah. waiting. If you figure out where you're getting, if you get a check, let me know, because I'm ready to get my check as well. All right. Well, it's All been right. a pleasure. Yeah, likewise, a pleasure. Always great to talk with you again. It's Roberta Glass of the True Crime Report. Go check it out on YouTube or iTunes and a lot of great stuff. That interview you did with the guy about innocence fraud was fantastic. It was the Devin amazing Tracy. atheist. Yeah. Devin Tracy. Atheism is unstoppable. It's yeah, atheism yeah, is yeah. unstoppable. Yeah. That was fantastic. So people go check that out again. Roberta glass. Thanks so much. Thank you. Right, okay.